Good morning, family. It's good to be with you all. It's good to see you. Some new faces. Thank you for joining us. If you're online, thank you for joining us. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm going to move this up just a smidge. Because I feel so far away from you guys. Um, thank you guys for, for bringing it up nonetheless. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to. Anyways, I'm going to move on. Um, well, before we get into the word, I, I have a couple things I wanted to, to talk about briefly. Uh, first of all, I am excited about November because this is a season of life where we have an opportunity to be thankful, to remember the things that we are thankful for, uh, to remember to whom we ought to give thanks. And, and so we are, are thinking about Thanksgiving in this time, and we as a church are partnering with Dominion High School, the place that, that we are right now. If you're online, then you're watching us being here and you're here in spirit. Uh, we, are, we are partnering with Dominion High School to provide Thanksgiving meals to families in need. And these are families within Dominion High School, who, uh, those, those families that have individuals, young people who are in this uh, school. And we've been partnering with Dominion High School for a long time. We have a passion to reach our community in part through this school. And so we are uh, gathering together meals for those in need. And I'd love for you to take part in this. Um, we'd love for you to, to sponsor a dinner for one of our DHS families. And, and so if you're interested in that, you can find out more information. There's going to be someone in the hall that can give you some information. Or you can more easily, right now, text OUTREACH to 474747, and we will send you the information that you need. But I'd love for you to take part in that. I know that I'm going to with my wife and our small group. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity. And you can do that as well. You don't have to do it all by yourself. If you've got a group of friends or if you're in a small group, gather some people together and, and as a group, make part of your Thanksgiving uh, celebration, giving thanks by, by providing for others in need. Uh, secondly, uh, this Wednesday is Veterans Day, uh, the holiday in which we celebrate and remember and, and give thanks to those who have served in the U.S. Armed Forces. So I just wanted to take a moment today and, and honor and thank those who have served in our armed forces. If you are in the building or if you're online and you have served in in one of the, the branches of the military, could you stand up? And the rest of us, can we just honor them with a, a round of applause? All right. Thank you for your service. All right, you guys can be seated. It's, it's real life. I know I grew up in an army family, and we moved around a lot, and we as a family made a lot of sacrifices. And I know that my father made sacrifices in order to serve our country and, and, uh, and protect us, and, and I'm thankful for that. And, and so, thank you for your service. Well, the election is over, <laughs> right? We would have thought it would have been over on the 3rd, but it's the 8th, and it was barely over yesterday. And uh, probably there will be some continuing conversation around votes and counting and all that stuff. I'm not going to get into all of that, but, but I want to recognize the fact that we have uh, an established president-elect, Joe Biden, and that means happiness for some and, 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 and joy, and it means disappointment or frustration for others. And, and we are at church, and in this building right now, probably there are those of you who are on one or two of the sides. And there are some in the middle who are just, we're not happy with either candidate. And so they're just kind of like, meh, because they were not happy to see it go either way. But the question I wanted us to think about not as partisan individuals, not primarily as politically um, focused individuals, but as Christians, 
not to say that you can't be a Christian and political, but, but as Christians, what should be our perspective and focus? What should be our perspective and focus now? So the question I want us to think about is really what now? What now? Whether you're happy and you're looking forward to the future or you're, you're upset and frustrated and fearful of the future, what do we do now? And I want to look at a text where, where Paul is giving some, some parting words to one of his disciples, and he's, he's really giving uh, Timothy some, some standing orders, some directions that, that may seem at first to be specific to his call as a pastor, but really they apply to us as well as we consider what it looks like for us to, to move forward. So uh, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, and we're going to be encouraged to follow Christ the King. So if you could stand with me, if you're online, if you could stand as well, we are going to stand in reverence to the Word of God given to us by the King himself, um, and we're going to read out loud together. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in a a unique season of life in our church, at least unique in our community and our country, and unique in, the, in, in our generation. Lord, uh, a time that you are well aware of as, as somewhat chaotic, certainly tense, and divisive. And God, we come to you seeking our marching orders. Lord, as good soldiers, we are coming to you with our orders, asking you to tell us how we ought to respond in this season of life, how we are to live in light of our present reality. God, would you help us to be faithful to you first and foremost, faithful to be called and identified as Christians, as followers of Christ, as men and women of God. God, I pray that we would be recognized as those who hear from and follow Jesus. Who, who, who have a higher allegiance to an eternal, immortal king. We pray all of these things in the name of our king, Jesus. Amen. So in this letter, Paul is writing to Timothy to give him some directives, especially against some of the teachings that have crept up in, in the church that Timothy is now pastoring. And, and he's a young man, probably in his 30s, and, and he is leading a group of individuals, many of whom, some of whom are 
are claiming to know more than him and, and teaching some false doctrines. So he has been, Paul has been going through this letter and, and saying, you need to stand up and preach and teach with confidence, hold on to the faith and to the doctrine that I've given to you, and, and trust God to provide uh, grace as you are bold as you teach. And uh, he has just finished encouraging in, in verses, if we were to go back to verses 3 through 10 of chapter 6, encouraging Timothy to flee the love of money, to flee as he's a minister of the gospel, to flee this, this pursuit of comfort, this pursuit of, of convenience, and, and really to flee idolatry. Now, in other places in, in, in Paul's writings, he encourages believers to flee from sexual immorality, to flee from, from other sins, and, and to flee from idolatry, uh, idolatry in general. And, and that's a word that maybe we are not as familiar with, if, especially if you don't go to church, you did, if you didn't get raised in church. But this idea of idolatry is, is worshiping or serving, looking to for salvation, anything that isn't God himself, right? And, and we, we sometimes, when we think of idols... We think of uh, maybe statues or, or in, in almost caricatures of this. And in some cultures, that's a real thing. There's a reality to it that, that we don't want to worship the idols or the, or the things that these, these statues represent. And so in some cultures, this is something that's, that's easier to understand and grasp. But in, in our Western culture, we kind of have said there's no such thing as supernatural reality. And I'm saying the culture has said that. We as Christians do not say that. But, but the culture has said that. And so when we hear this like, you know, flee from idolatry. We're like, well, I don't have any idols. But, but we, we all have a temptation towards worshiping the idol of self, worshiping the idol of, of our own comfort and pursuing uh, binging on Netflix because I deserve it, you know? Not thinking about the, those around me, but, but thinking first and foremost about how my life ought to be and, and orienting myself and my life and my goals around myself. Now, that's not to say we don't have freedom and we can't choose things, and I'm thankful that we can choose to do some things and not do other things and, and enjoy things, but there is a definite idol of self in our culture. The idol of work, the idol of, of pursuing success as it relates to climbing your professional ladder and, and gaining prestige and excellence and, and trying to create this identity out of your work. And, and, and you can tell whether or not you are worshiping the idol of, of, of work by, by looking at your hours, by looking at your time, by looking at your, your goals. Are your goals strictly and only related to how you're going to succeed at work to the detriment of personal relationships? Is your time spent focused on work, again, to the detriment of maybe your health or, or other relationships? Can you sometimes not go to church because you got to work? Can you not participate in a small group because I got too much work? And now, not to say that we don't have those moments, but when those moments become rhythms and routines, then we have to ask ourselves, am I worshiping my work or am I worshiping the identity that that work gives me? The idol of other people, needing attention, approval, identity from others, a spouse, a friend, a celebrity, there, there are many things that, that call to us to worship them. And, and Paul here, I think he encourages us in the same way he encourages Paul, or he encourages Timothy, flee these things. And he calls them, O man of God. And in the Old Testament, that phrase, man of God, it referred to people like Moses 
and David, individuals whom God had taken and set aside, really uh, consecrated them to a purpose. And now we might say, well, I'm not, that's not me. But God has taken you and me in Christ and he has consecrated us and he has set us aside for a purpose. And in so doing, he has given us the title man, woman of God. And in the same way that that he calls Timothy and he says, man of God, flee these things. He calls you and me and he says, flee these things. And he goes on and he's going to talk to us about some of the things that he wants us to do. And, and I, I got a little bit ahead of myself, but myself, myself, me and the mouse in my pocket. Um, uh, whom is also me. Uh, anyways, he, he's going to give us five things that we are to do and several reasons that we are to do them in the person of Jesus Christ. Five things that we're to do and, and, and several reasons that we are to do so in the person of Jesus Christ. The first one, as I just said, is to flee. We are to flee from sin. Flee from idolatry, not just to, to, to have, you know, got Jesus here and, and my idols here, and I'm just going to kind of split my time between the two. You know, Sunday is Jesus' day, and then Monday is, is my idol of work. Sunday is, is Jesus' day, but Saturday night is the idol of that girl I'm really into or, or that guy I'm really into. Sunday and, you know, Wednesday, I'll, I'll watch the 715 sermon, but, but the rest of my time is, is really my time to spend how I like. We want to flee from idols, and, and we want to do so quickly and completely. If you don't know what your idol is, if nothing comes to mind, you can ask yourself, where do you find your identity? Where do you find your peace? And where do you find your comfort? And if those things are a resounding X that isn't God himself, then perhaps there's an idol in your life. I mean, to step back and, and consider our, our nation as a, in, in a, this time, is your idol the, the political system? Not to say that you're pleased by it, but, but is that the place where you're demanding peace and comfort to come from? Are you now at total peace because your candidate won? Or are you now completely wrecked because your candidate didn't win? Either way, it's possible that you have an idol that that stands in opposition to Jesus Christ himself. Not to say that we aren't to be civically minded, not to say that we aren't to be responsible in our community, but we have an allegiance and we are called to worship God alone. Certainly not worship government or a candidate or a party. I mean, if you've paid any attention to any amount of history, you know that they're not worth your worship. Where do you find your identity, your peace, and your comfort? Now, Paul doesn't just encourage us to to flee from. He encourages us to run to. He says to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Now, this is is kind of a grab bag of of Christian virtues. In other places, he mentions other things that we are to pursue. In in 2 Timothy uh, 2.22, he mentions peace, where here he doesn't mention peace. So this is not a, a static you know, only list, but I think it's apropos for what he's trying to pour into Timothy in this moment. He's saying, in light of the fact that there are those who would try to take the gospel and use it for their own good, in the light of the fact that there are are false teachers who are trying to get money from the gospel, I want you to pursue righteousness. And righteousness is is living in light of the law, living in light of the fact that God is a, a lawful God with a character that he wants us to live 
in line with, in alignment with. That means that we, we pursue to obey God, that we, we try not to lie, to cheat, to steal, to, to be angry, to lust. We try to, to honor God. We try to be kind and loving and patient and law-abiding. Pursue righteousness, he says. But not only that, pursue godliness. Seek to live your life in such a way that people can look at you and they are reminded of God. Reminded of God and his character. Reminded of God and his generosity. You know, I, I, I think that my understanding of God's generosity has been most informed by, by some individuals in my life. I won't name them specifically, but, but there are people in my life who've exhibited the kind of generosity that I think reflects God's nature, that I can see God in them. There are people in my life who have exhibited the kind of forgiveness and patient, sacrificial, unconditional love that, that their behavior reflects the nature and character of God, and I see God in them. That's godliness. There are those who have so lived their life that, that they have stayed away from sin and they've pursued God's holiness, that, that there's a holiness and a reverence that they walk with. There's a gravity in their walk that reminds me of God, godliness. He says, pursue these things, pursue faith. Pursue faith, this, this abiding trust in the reality that we've seen in history, that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, offering eternal life to anyone who will repent and have what? Faith. It's not a one-time moment. Right? Sometimes when you go to church, you hear the gospel presented as this, if you do this this one time, then you'll never need to think about it again. No, but faith is something that we constantly, presently pursue because our hearts are wicked apart from Christ. And, and even after Christ, we still have what the Bible calls this, this sin nature, which tries to, to press and war against our, our new nature. And we have to pursue faith. That's why Paul says in other places, work out your salvation. If it was a one-time thing, Paul, why would we have to work it out presently? Will we presently work out what we once established? Right? Timothy is a believer. We believe that he's a believer. And yet, Paul is saying, pursue what? Faith. Because the reality is there are moments in your life where, where your circumstances call into question the goodness and the salvation of God. Right? For some of you, that might be right now. I had a conversation recently with an individual who they felt like the world was coming to an end. And I'm not speaking yes or no about, this is not a conversation about revelation. This is not a conversation about the apocalypse or anything like that. But this person was like, it's the end. And they were, they were shook. And, and the circumstances around them were, were, were causing them to question the goodness of God and, and question the, the, the things of God. And, and in moments where you feel shook, that is a moment to run to and pursue faith. Not fear, but faith. He says, pursue faith. He says, pursue love. Again, because our nature encourages us not to pursue love. And if you've been on Facebook for any amount of time, it will tempt you not to pursue love. In conversation. And I friends... No one, no, one, no one has ever been convinced to change parties as a result of your Facebook comments. So just stop. Because you know what it does do? is It, it calls into question the character of Christians. 
Pursue love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. Pursue love. Not just love with people who you like. Not just love with, with people that, that, that they're, they're like you. You know, I, I love my Republican Party. I love my Democratic Party. We, we won. Did you win? Yes. Did I win? Yeah. That's easy. Did you not win? No. Did I win out? Mm, let's be angry together because we love. No. You love the people who are different from you. You love the people whose perspective, when you both come to the Bible and you both read the same words, for whatever reason, it diverges. You don't have to agree, but you do love. That's, that's what our, our nation was, at, at least it, we attempted to, to found it on, was this idea that you could love and live in community with people with whom you disagreed. And you had the freedom to do that, to disagree with them. Love. Not to say it was done perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. Steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. He, he says to Timothy, you need to endure. You need to pursue endurance. You don't just need to endure. You need to pursue endurance. You don't just need to be, well, I'm going to run because I have to run. But you're going to get up every day and you're like, I'm going to run a mile. I'm going to run two miles. I'm going to run three, three miles. I'm going to pursue endurance because I know I'm going to need it. In, in James, he says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the, the testing of your faith develops what? Endurance. That means that when you and I go into trials, we don't just say, no, God, help me. God, please deliver me from these trials. Not to say that we can't do that, but if we just stop there and our faith is only faith for God to, to bring us out of trials, we will never have the endurance that God wants us to have to live the life that God wants us to live. Instead, there are moments, and, and, and family, I don't mean to be discouraging, but there are probably more moments that you'd like to, than you'd like to realize where God is going to say no to, to being delivered out of something, and he'll say yes to developing, de, de, developing perseverance through them. And maybe you're in a situation where you've been praying, God, get me out of this, get me out of this, get me out of this. Maybe, maybe again, the, the, to, to use what's, what's on everyone's mind, maybe this election has caused you to say, God, get me out of this country, get me out of this, you know, and, and I don't know how I'm going to handle the next four years. Well, through endurance. Maybe, maybe you're on this side and you're like, God, I don't know how I'm going to handle these people who are so frustrated about losing. I don't know how I'm going to handle um, the, the current president and, and his behavior. Well, through endurance and through love and in a manner that honors God. And he finally says, pursue gentleness. Now, when we think about strength, I don't think we often think about gentleness, but, but Paul wanted to temper something that's common in, in young people, which is this idea that, that if I am bold and if I have a purpose, that I can, I can wield my purpose with a hammer. I can beat people over the head because it's a godly hammer. <laughs> but Paul, who he's, he's, not, he's not a wilting violet. He's, he's not soft-spoken, quiet individual. I mean, there are other places where you're like, whoa, Paul, cool it. I mean, this was also the same guy. You know, there's a personality aspect about Paul that before Christ, before salvation, he was, he was watching Stephen be stoned to death with approval. He's not, he's not a, a soft guy, but he has learned to be a gentle man, a gentle 
pastor. And this next season of life is going to call all of us as Christians to learn to be gentle. To, gentle, to be gentle with those with whom we disagree, to be gentle in our pursuit of holiness, to be gentle in our, our communication, not to be weak, not to, to lack boldness, not to, to s- step back from telling the truth, but the, the truth itself can be convicting enough without you communicating in a way that's hurtful. And when we look at Jesus, when, he, when it came to his opponents, there were very few people that he wasn't gentle with. There were some that he, he, he kind of had to break down some stiff-necked attitudes, and that was the Pharisees for the most part. Their self-righteousness made it difficult for them to hear. But for, for sinners, for tax collectors, there was a gentleness that he, he exuded. And God calls us to gentleness. These virtues orient our lives so that we're in the right position to fight the good fight of faith. He goes on to say in, in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Sorry, fight the good fight of the faith. And I, I, I want to bring attention to the fact that he says the faith. In, in the language, it says the faith. Because Paul is calling Timothy to, to fight for what has been established in this gospel reality. Christian life is, is often compared to, by Paul and others, as, as the life of an athlete. The writer of Hebrews says, running this race, he talks about the, the cloud of witnesses and, and running with, with endurance. And, and Paul talks about being a good soldier. These are not, you know, if I was picking a life purpose, I don't know that I would pick, you know, what's the Christian life like? Well, it's a lot like a, um, an athlete who's having to push really hard or a soldier who's suffering. Like, well, okay, what, what other lives can I choose? Because I don't know if they'll, you know, but are there any other aspects to the Christian life? Well, yeah, but mostly it's the endurance, pressing, dealing with, you know, filling up the sufferings of Christ in your own body. Wait, what, no, no. Can I do something over here that's more comfortable? The Christian life is a fight. If it's not a fight for you, you might not be living the Christian life. You know, if, if it just, if life is easy and good and you never have any struggles, you might just be giving into temptation. You know, um, if I could use a picture, we, we live in a quicksand world that, that is pulling everyone down to their depth. And if you're not feeling the pull and you're not fighting, then you're not trying to live life. You're just giving in and sinking. There, there is a pull that the world has. There is a pull that, that our sin nature has. There is a pull that wickedness has, that we have to fight against. And he says, fight the good fight of faith, of the faith. We're, we're fighting this faith, or fighting for this faith that has been established. It's not an ordinary fight. It's a fight that results when we see and appreciate the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. As we grow to appreciate the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, this is not a one-time deal. You don't just go and, and, and pray a prayer or, or sign a card or walk down an altar one time and then you're done and you move on to other things. No, this is a progressive journey of growing to appreciate and treasure Jesus more than you do the, the things around you. You know, I walked down an aisle at the age of seven. 
I believe I exercised real faith and I got saved and I was baptized. But that didn't mean that it was, it was all, you know, tulips and, and, and skipping for the rest of my life. No, there was a fight that had to be fought. And there were things that God wanted to draw out of me. I went through seasons of life where I thought, okay, this is really hard, God. You're dealing with this issue in my life, this sin issue. And I, and I came through and I, and I thought, okay, I'm done. And God was like, oh, that's, that's funny. What about this over here? You know, I often reflect on it and, and being in college and having, you know, and if you're in college, I'm sure there are a lot of pressures in your life. God bless you. But thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm doing great. I'm walking with God. I'm, I'm praying every day. I'm reading my Bible, you know, three hours every day because I had like 12 hours of work and I didn't have any responsibilities and I could get up at nine o'clock and, and go to bed at midnight and I could do what I wanted to do and my body would just bounce back and it was awesome. And there was a, this idea that, that I had arrived and then I found out that I had not arrived. <laughs> I got married and I realized, oh, I'm a selfish person. I, I think a lot more about myself than I realized because right now I'm struggling. And that, that's life. You know, if you're newly married and you're struggling with that or if you're dating and you're struggling with that, welcome to life. It's, it's not that like that person is really difficult to deal with. It's that that person is unearthing all the sin in your soul. <laughs> and, and to be fair, you're doing the same thing for them. So, you know, don't, don't get too haughty, other person. It's a fight for the faith. It's a fight against ca- uh, counterfeit faiths, and it's a ca- fight against counterfeit saviors. It's a fight to believe that God is better than success at work. It's, it's, a, faith, it's a fight to believe that God is better than fulfillment in X. It's a, f- it's a fight to believe that, that God is, is more faithful and fulfilling than this um, opportunity that lacks integrity. I could do this thing, but I would be sacrificing my integrity. He calls into a fight, the fight of the good faith. And not only do we fight, but we take hold of eternal life. I love, I'm so thankful for Paul because he gives this kind of one-two punch. He says, you want to fight the fight of faith, and you also want to um, take hold of eternal life. Well, what do you mean, Paul? The, the, the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He, he kind of has this, two-way perspective it's the it's this eternal life that you've been called to there's an there's an eternal aspect of the eternal life that you have been called to in christ if you have faith in jesus christ then you were called to it and prepared for it before the foundations of the world god had a plan and a purpose for you before you were born to be called into this and if you're not called into this you're like well was i called into it i don't know you know if he made that decision long ago how do i well just make the decision follow christ then you know that you had been called, okay? He says that I have been called. You have been called. You've been chosen. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. But not only that, it's the eternal life about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, this is probably Paul talking about when, when, he was, when Timothy was ordained. Maybe his baptism, but probably his, his ordination as a pastor where he, he makes a confession, you know, I believe in Christ. You know, he, he basically speaks publicly about his faith. And there is a public ref, uh, aspect of our faith that, that when, we, when we see Jesus for who he is, 
we confess faith in him, and it's, it, it should be a public confession. Maybe not public in the sense that you come up on stage and you I confess, but public in the sense that you are publicly a Christian. And, and that's one of the reasons why we do baptism on Sunday in front of our congregation, because we want it to be a public declaration. Not that it's salvific, but it publicly proclaims something salvific. Your faith, it's not intended to be private, though it is intended to be personal. You know, it's funny, as we talk about politics, I was in a poli-sci class, political science class, and uh, there were a lot of individuals, and, and I was, we were talking about, you know, policies and what policies we ought to support and why and I was like well I'm a Christian so x y and z and they're like I don't understand I mean your religion should not affect your politics I was like I don't understand your core beliefs should affect your politics um and in the things that we make confession about publicly they affect our lives they ought to affect our lives he says take hold of this eternal life and, and he says, take hold of this eternal life because, as I said last week, sometimes it can be very easy for us to forget what this is all about. We can begin to have kind of this tunnel vision towards either the next big thing or, you know, 80 years or the legacy I want to have. You know, when I'm 90, this is what I want my life to And that's fine. But God calls us to a view that, that, that dips into eternity. You were made for eternity. You know, there's, there's a longing that's in each of our souls that points to the fact that we weren't made to live a 90-year a, a lifespan and then be done. We're made for eternity. He's like, take hold of this eternal life. Remember this eternal life. Orient your life around this eternal life. If we all believed that we were going to live eternally, then we would not be afraid of dying. We would not be afraid of 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 personal loss. We would not be afraid of, of embarrassment because it's not about the next 90 years. I'll just live out the next 90 years and then the rest of my eternity is going to be awesome. And I'm, I'm in the camp with you. I, I struggle with this and, and I recognize that this can be a difficulty and that's why he says, take hold of it. Take hold of it. You've been called not to a temporary 90-year life but to eternal life and it's yours to take hold of as you trust in Jesus Christ and follow him. He goes on and he summarizes these directives in, in the following phrase, keep the commandment. We're getting there. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he frames Timothy's reality, Paul frames Timothy, Timothy's reality not in terms of, you know, the next 30 years, this is how I want you to live. No, but he, says, he says, until the appearing of Jesus Christ. And that word appearing refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, you and I, we might feel like, well, that could be a long time because it's been 2,000 years and he's not back. And, but, but that's the point. We are to live our lives and hold on to this commandment to, to flee idolatry, to pursue God's character and, and to, to take hold of eternal life until he comes. Right? That's purpose. That is your purpose and my purpose. That's our ultimate goal, and it's ultimately what we will be given as our purpose to glorify God in. Keep the commandment. 
Our measure of success is obedience. Your measure of success in your life is not how much money you accrue, how many friends you have, how popular, you're, popular you get, and how many followers you get on Instagram. Your, your measure of success is not how high on the ladder you get or how many startups you are able to create or how much venture capital you're able to accrue and, and, and succeed with. No, your standard of success is did I obey God? Did I keep the commandment until his second coming? Or until my death, did I keep the commandment? And you can say, no, my success is this, my success is that, my success is this. But at the end of the day, you and I don't get to determine our own measure of success. And you can, you can pretend all day long, but when you die, someone else is going to be judging your life. You know, my kids can go to their room, and if I tell them, clean your room, and they say, well, we made some really cool things, and we played with these toys, and we, um, we did this thing, we're succeeding I am going to say to them, no, you did not succeed. You did something very opposite of succeeding in this moment, and there will be consequences for your lack of success. You and I, we can go to our room and we can say, I've succeeded. Look at this shrine of awesomeness. Look at all these relationships. Look at all this money. Look at all this prestige. And God is going to look at us and say, did you obey? Did you keep the commandment? And he goes on, and, and I love Paul. He goes and he gets caught up in this. And he says, I charge you in the presence of God. And then he says, who's God? Who keeps, who gives life to all things. And, and, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, he made a good confession. In light of God and of Jesus, who also made a good confession, keep the commandments. And he, and he goes on, he says, until the appearing, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets carried away. He says, Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display, God will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be glory or honor and dominion. He's talking and he's saying, there is a God who is blessed. There's a God and he's sovereign, he's king of kings and he's Lord of lords who alone has more immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable life, whom no one has seen, uh, ever seen or can see. Now that, that, that might be confusing, but he's talking about God the Father. Not Jesus, obviously people saw Jesus, Paul had seen Jesus. So he's not speaking of that, but, but God, the invisible immortal God, is king of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. He's our sovereign. And Jesus is the image of him. We have a Trinitarian God, and so while we don't see God the Father, we do see Jesus Christ, and we experience his presence by the Holy Spirit. But this, this part right here, Paul, just as an aside, Paul calls us to a kind of life, and Paul lives a kind of life where as he begins to think about God, he just starts to riff. You know, I want, he says, Timothy, I want you, and I, could, I, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives all, th- and he begins to think about who God is, who gives all life to all things, and, and of Christ, who, who he, he was faithful and to, to keep the commandments until the coming of Jesus Christ, when he'll display at the, who, whom Jesus will be displayed at the proper time by him, who? By God, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has immortality. And he, he's overwhelmed with who God is. 
And th that feels foreign to me sometimes because I am often overwhelmed by who I am. I'm often overwhelmed by who people in the world are. I'm often overwhelmed by the circumstances in my life. Like, do you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about stressful things? Do you, do you struggle to go to sleep thinking about overwhelming things? Do you wake up in the morning like, oh, no, it's Monday, thinking about overwhelming things? Paul had overwhelming things. I mean, he'd, he'd been beaten so many times that his, his back was one big scar. I mean, he, he probably had to have Luke, who accompanied him on many of his trips. Luke was a physician, and it's likely that Luke was there to care for him because of his beatings, his sufferings. And, and, and Paul also had to care for these people in, in churches where, like, you had a son and a, and a mother-in-law committing adultery, and you had people, you know, worshiping idols and, and doing crazy stuff, and, and th that was his church, right? Whatever you think of Grace Covenant Church, it's not cr the Corinthian church. A and he had many things about which to worry, things to be anxious about, to be concerned with, and yet when he begins to think about God, he becomes overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God. And as we as we think about this election, we consider what the next two months are going to look like, possible litigation, argument, division, the next four years, whatever your, pers your perspective of politics are, is, perspective, singular, yes, whatever your perspective is, um, there's a lot to be overwhelmed with. And yet, Paul is, is calling us to live a certain way where we're so focused on the God. We're keeping the commandment. We're, we're taking hold of eternal life. We're, we're pursuing righteousness. We're pursuing godliness to such a degree that, that we don't get overwhelmed with the things around us, not because the things around us aren't overwhelming, but because God is sovereign, because God is king of kings, because God is Lord of lords, because God is immortal. Trump, not immortal. Biden, not immortal. Anyone else? Not immortal. God is immortal. God is sovereign. God is king. And family, God is calling us to live like that's a reality. Whatever your perspective on politics is, there is a greater reality that God is calling us to. I mean, just step back and look at our nation over the last few years. Look at what COVID has done. Look at the... the the gap that's been created for someone to step in and say, there is someone who's in charge. There is someone who can affect real change. Biden can't change people's hearts. Trump can't fix COVID. Only God can. And and he's calling us in this moment to embrace the reality and to really be what the church was always intended to be. A countercultural reality that, that challenges the status quo. Whether Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green or anything, challenges the world's status quo. And family, 
I just want you to hear this. We are being charged. You and I are being charged in the presence of God and Jesus Christ himself to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is your call. That is my call. It's not just my call because I'm a pastor. It is your call because you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, God is inviting you into this. He's inviting you to an allegiance and a participation in something that is immortal, something that is greater than the U.S. As awesome and thankful as I am to live in this country, there is something that's much greater. No government was ever intended to be something worth worshiping. As awesome as it is, There's one person that we honor, and and Paul says, to him be honor and eternal, what, dominion. To God be honor and eternal dominion. 